All right. Well, hey, we are continuing this morning uh, in our series on parenting. So uh, if you're just joining us, this is week three of, of our longer, I think it's a seven um, or eight week series. Um, and so I'd encourage you, you can always listen online to catch up, find out what you've been missing here. Uh, but as we've gone into some of these things, part of what we're dealing with here uh, over the first few weeks, by way of recap, is just a little bit of reframe. Okay, and so there's a couple things that we've learned that we'll just, we'll just review really quickly here. One is that you as a parent, if you are a parent, uh, if you're not a parent, this may be true for you at some point. Um, if you don't plan on being a parent or you've already got kids that are grown and out of the house, listen, this is still your mission if you've got kids that are grown and out of the house for you, for grandkids, for your kids, whatever. Um, and, and listen, if you're not planning to have those kids, you're still... You, you are a member of the body of Christ, and I, I promise you, this is critical for the future of the church. This is, this is critically important to who God is and what he wants to accomplish, so we must understand this. So our parenting mission statement um, must be something like this. Our number one goal is to uh, raise kids that become adults that love Jesus more than they love anything else in their life, Right? There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for your kids. There's too much at stake for their eternity. There's too much at stake for um, the usefulness and success and value of their life here on earth for that not to be the priority um, as a parent. And so we've discussed that. We've gone over that. We've, we've drilled down there and we continue that uh, we need to, as, as the church, we need to disciple children in honor and obedience. We read that in Ephesians 6, the first three verses last time, that our role is to disciple children in honor and obedience. And we disciple children in honor and obedience purposefully because, and this is where it gets interesting, and this is something we discovered last week as we looked at, at Scripture, but what happens is we know that the way that children look at us as parents, grandparents, adults in their lives, but, but mom and dad specifically, the way that parents, the way that kids look at you is their first picture of what the God of the universe is like. And that is a tall order. It's a huge job. And maybe you didn't really ask for it, but it's yours. It's what you signed up for, knowing or unknowingly, when you decided to have children, right? Or when you decided to be important in the life of kids, or when you decided to come alongside struggling parents, whatever it is, it's, this is a big deal, okay? It, it is the way it is. It's, it's necessary that we are, we are critically important to our kids' growth as Christians, as future Christians, because we understand that the way they see us is the picture of who God is for them. Let me warn you, man, listen, if we jack that up early, it's going to be a long time and a hard road to help them figure out that God isn't what we showed them he was if we're not real careful. Some of you get that really, really well. Some of you have been hurt by folks. Some of you have been hurt by your parents. Some of you have been um, hurt in ways that, I mean, there was no cause for. 
I get that, okay? And I'm sorry about that. And you know as well as I do that that struggle that that has when, when, when you're trying to figure out who the God of the universe is and you're trying to picture this idea of God as the, the loving Father that loves me unconditionally but demands righteousness and, and that, that dual nature of the relationship that we're supposed to have with God and what that's like. And listen, this is critically important. As parents, you are, you are the first pastors for your children. You pastor them. You grow them up. Okay? And it's different for moms and dads. Let's just do this briefly. Okay? Uh, moms, one of your first roles with kids, and by the way, this is so unfair. It's unfair, but it's yours anyway. And it's even more unfair for some of you here that might be divorced, um, that, that might, be, might be a single parent, um, uh, maybe widowed or, or, or whatever the case may be. And um, I'll remind you, there, there's no judgment here in, in those scenarios, but we do understand that this becomes critically more difficult and critically more important for you as a single parent if you're here that way to understand some of these things. And by the way, that's where the church can help. That's one of the ways that the church can come alongside of you and pour into your life and help, okay? But here's what it is. Moms, typically, not always, but typically, you're the one that brings wisdom and kindness, into the family. You're the one that pours that into your kids. Um, it doesn't mean that dads don't do that or grandparents don't do that, but what it means is that they look to you for that. They typically get their sense of kindness and gentleness and wisdom from their interaction with mom. That's, that's just good social science there. Uh, moms guide and instruct. Listen, when kids, when you ask kids as young adults, okay, later on where these identities come from, they usually say, mom. So moms, part of what we have to do is pour into kids and make sure they understand that, that their identity comes from God, right? That their character is about who God has called them to be, not just about being a good citizen or being, you know, some of these things that culture will tell us, that's how you're a successful kid. No, 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 your identity is being who God has called you to be, and um, this is how we show honor and respect in relationships, and, and this is why you are. Dads, your role is, you don't have nearly as much on the screen, but it's just as critical and it's harder, I think. I'm a little biased, okay? Being a godly father is rooted in sacrificial love. Kids will learn what the sacrificial love of God looks like, dads, by looking at you. You, you need to let that sink in maybe for a second, but when, when kids look at you as their father, they will get a picture of what the sacrificial love of God is like, the unconditional, unrelenting, chase you to the ends of the earth no matter what love looks like. They need to get that from you. First Peter tells us, dads, your role is to watch over your family willingly, eagerly, but then also gently, and that you lead by example. These are the roles. This is what kids need to learn. This is critical. This, this is how we disciple them in honor and obedience. And so what we said last week is that we'd get into this this week, that this would be infinitely more practical. This week, last week, we talked about this theological construct, this big idea of honor and obedience for kids. And we said this week, we would get to Ephesians 6:4, and we would start to look at why this was so hard, why it's so critical, what the big deal is. Um, 
and we'll start to see what the Bible has to say about discipline. But look here real quick, the big idea here, the purpose of discipline is to drive out folly and replace it with wisdom. That's the whole purpose of discipline. Drive out folly and replace it with wisdom. Okay, so we're going to start, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up. We're going to start in Hebrews 12. And I'm going to read for you Hebrews 12, verse 5, um, all the way through the end of the chapter. Okay. That's Ephesians. I better skip ahead a little bit. Here we go. I'm sorry. So chapter 12, verse 5, through the end of the chapter. Follow along with me if you like. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the, Lord's discipline, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a father who has never been disciplined... I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I should have wore glasses. No, I don't want yours. Thank you. Hers are too strong. Because she's older than I am. I know, right? Come on, Hans, you're better than that. <sighs> Except you're not really. Anyway, as you endure this defiant, let's pre- can we just like pretend that that last 45 seconds didn't happen? <laughs> as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we, are respected by our, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For, if our, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And I love this, verse 12 here, and and 13. So take a new grip with your tired hands, strengthen your weak knees, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So the whole context here in Hebrews 12, 5 through 13, here's what it says. Discipline is godly. Now, You know as well as I do that there is sin in the world, and sin in the world has jacked things up, and so what was meant to be godly sometimes is not godly, and there is plenty of ungodly discipline that happens in the world. Frankly, there is plenty of ungodly discipline that's taught by the world. But discipline at its core is godly. Discipline at its core is holy. Discipline at its core is proof that the God of the universe loves who you are and wants good for you. That's what discipline is. That's what what the author of Hebrews is telling us here in this. And then I love how he ends it. Here's what he says. He says, "So, so take a grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Man up. Stop complaining about discipline. Stop hiding from discipline. Stop whining about discipline. Put on your big boy pants and deal. Discipline is good. Discipline is good for us as children. Discipline is good for us as parents. And discipline is good for us to administer always. So there's this thing that we have to understand here. This is the point of this, okay, as we continue here. 
And we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 4 a little bit today. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We know this. We, we, we understand this concept, okay? That discipline that's successful is discipline that doesn't provoke to anger, okay? It doesn't crush a spirit, but discipline that's successful is one that instructs and encourages and brings somebody to repentance. See, that's, that's what discipline is. And any of you know that your Bible, you know that discipline starts in Genesis with the first children. See, God creates perfectly Adam and Eve, and he does what good, good fathers do. He gives them instructions. He gives them tasks. He gives them purpose to work the land, to be fruitful, to multiply. He gives them rules and a framework and law. Hey, do this. Don't touch this. He tells them in his instruction what the consequence will be if they break that rule. The consequence is death. And then he lets them have the freedom to learn self-discipline and to navigate. And you know the story well, right? They fail. They eat the fruit. Things become corrupt. Sin enters the world. Things fall apart. But we have to track how God is to really understand discipline and to really understand the heart of a father in that context. He deals with it. He confronts it. He gives Adam a chance to own his sin. Right? He comes to the garden in the cool of the day when they used to go walking because they were intimate, they were close, and he says, uh, Adam, why, why are you hiding? Did, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to do? I mean, parents, you've been there, right? You're like, why is this thing broken on the living room floor? Did you do the one thing I told you not to do? Were you playing football in the house again? Never happened to us as kids. But here's what he does. You know, he, he asks, and, 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 and he gives Adam a chance to confess. And of course, you know the story. Adam does not confess. Adam, it's Eve's fault. And then, um, indirectly, it's God's fault. It's the woman you gave me. That's why we're in this mess, God. You decided we needed the woman. You know, we go from, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and we get all the way over here to, it's your fault, God, because we didn't need that woman. And so God brings the consequences to fruition. Death enters the world. Not immediately, necessarily, but it happens. The man and the woman are removed from the garden, no longer access to the tree of life. The tree of eternal life is now gone. Death has entered the world. They, they've lost that privilege. Curses, pain, and childbirth. Food from the ground by the sweat of your brow. This tension between man and woman that exists. If you felt that in a marriage or relationship, that's not unique to you. God says in the garden that's a penalty for sin. 
And we know that. We know well. We know the story of the fall. We get it. We understand all of it. But here's what we forget sometimes. Here's what God does. God continues to be a loving father even in this context. He comes alongside, not just with discipline, but with instruction. See, and this is what, this is what God's telling us in Ephesians 6, 4. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord so that things will go well with them, so that they'll grow and they'll be who you've intended them to be. This is what we say. Is this, God says, you know what? Yes, there's consequences. Yes, there's discipline for your sin, but I love you and I'll care for you and I make clothes for them. He makes clothes for them. And he nurtures them and he instructs them and he sends them on their way. And we know from reading through scripture that he watches over. He makes a promise to fix it all with Jesus. That happens in this text. He says, you know what, here's the consequence for your action, but, and it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful and it's going to sting and it's not going to be great, but that's okay. Look, there's going to be Jesus. And he loves them. See, and so we see this picture of discipline. God provides the picture of what discipline needs to look like for us. Discipline always stings. It always hurts. Okay? Here's what I'm reading in in Hebrews 12, that discipline hurts, but it brings redemption, and it brings honor, and it brings a relationship with God that's right. Okay? Now, as soon as I say that discipline hurts, I know that I've started to to rub some of you the wrong way. I get that. But here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that sometimes we have wrong views about discipline. And those wrong views aren't because of what God says in Scripture. Those wrong views are because of maybe some interactions we've had with our earthly parents or maybe some mistakes that we've seen in other parenting relationships that we know, um, maybe from some um, misguided elementary school counselors that told you some things. I can say that because I was one of those. Sometimes our wrong views of parenting and discipline come from um, experts in the field that are rooted in a secular world, not in a biblical context. Okay, so we really need to understand what does God have to say about discipline? Because discipline is how we disciple children in honor and obedience. It's that simple. Discipline and instruction are our tool to help our kids raised up in honor and obedience. And so let's get into this idea um, that we can understand here. When you parent your kids and you parent well, all you're doing is giving them the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You get that, right? The gospel is you recognizing that you're sinful, you recognizing that you've made a mistake. The gospel is you coming to your heavenly father and saying, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I can't do this on my own, and trusting him with, through Jesus for repentance, for a new heart, for a connection, for forgiveness, and for new purpose. That's what the gospel is. That's what you do every time you parent your children, okay? Um, your children come to you, you come to them, they've, they, they've sinned. You know, maybe they sinned because they broke God's law. And some of you, man, some of you kids, you break God's laws all the time. Quit it. Okay? But a lot of times they sin because they break house rules. Okay? And let's face it, every house rule isn't in the Bible. Some of them might be. 
okay? But every house rule didn't make it in Scripture, right? You know, it's like, don't leave your shoes in the middle of the living room floor. It's not in there. You're not going to find it, okay? Don't run in the house. That never comes up, right? Don't take the car in the middle of the night when you're not supposed to. Go figure. It's not in there, okay? But, but God gives parents the ability to come up with house rules, and when a kids break house rules, that counts as sin, and when they sin, we come to them, and we share their consequence. We share the discipline. They understand what the problem is, and it's only effective when it leads them to repentance to the point where they can confess it. They can admit it. Kids, let me give you a quick piece of advice here. When you screw up, own it. Speaking as a parent who has been overly frustrated before, denying that it happened is never a good idea. We already know. When we say, hey, who broke this thing here? We're not really asking. We know that you broke that thing here. My go-to, it was the cat. I mean, we pinned a lot of stuff on our cat. I promise you it never worked. Okay, but, but part of this process, parents, this is why we demand honesty. It's not being harsh. It's not beating a dead horse. It's not kicking them while we're down. We demand honesty because honesty leads to repentance. When we admit the mistake we've made, when we're owning the mistake, then we're at a point in time where we can ask genuinely for forgiveness. And that's so critical that our kids ask for forgiveness. Parents, hear me. It's so critical that your kids ask for forgiveness so that you can just pour grace on them. Yeah, the discipline stands. Yeah, it stings. Maybe it hurts for a minute. But trust me when I tell you, it, it brings life. This is the gospel lived out over and over in your kids, and this is part of your job in discipling them to love Jesus more than they love anything else, is to get this locked in. Okay, so we're going to look practically at, at discipline uh, through the book of Proverbs. We're going to see what it has to say here. Uh, we've kind of talked a little bit, like, why is discipline so critical? Let, let's see. First things first here, look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. 15. Um, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Something I need you to know and this is where the world will tell us that we're, that we're just mean and hard to get along with. Your kids are not basically good. My kids aren't basically good. I, as a child, was not basically good. I know. I'm sorry. See, look, I feel bad talking about Charlotte like that. Because she looks like she's basically a good kid. Now, Nick's not confused. Nick knows. You can smile at me all you want, but it doesn't, I'm not changing my mind. Look, our kids aren't basically good. Now, the world will teach us that kids are basically good. They just need to be molded a little bit, shaped, guided, and sent to become, here's the, here's the one we love, self-actualized. They can just be who they were supposed to be. But the Bible says, no. Here's what the Bible says. This is God's wisdom now. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. God is the author here. The Holy Spirit empowers this. And the Holy Spirit of God says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It is at the core of who they are. And folly here is not like, when we read the, the word folly in um, the book of Proverbs, sometimes we're, we think, oh, like silly mistakes. No, folly is wickedness. 
The word for folly literally means wickedness. Wickedness is bound up in the heart of a child. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. That's what it is. It's that nature. It is bound up in the heart of a child. And any discipline strategy that doesn't acknowledge that kids are generally foolish in nature and need to be trained up and discipled to honor and obedience, to learn repentance, any kind of discipline strategy that doesn't deal with the heart issue is bound to fail. It won't work. Okay? So God's wisdom says, understand this at the beginning, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay, so here's the deal. One big idea before we get going. I don't want anybody to be confused about this. Parents, um, and I'm going to go ahead and admit to you and confess to you that um, this is a mistake that I've made multiple times in the past. I'm better than I used to be. Okay, but um, we don't discipline for error. We discipline for sin. Humanity isn't sin. Rebellion is. Okay, we don't, we don't discipline kids for spilling milk at the dinner table. Unless they spill milk at the dinner table because they're standing on the table when they've been told not to. See, standing on the table when they've been told not to, that's rebellion. Having the cup slip out of your hand and spilling it all over the table and ruining the meal and making my life generally a little bit more miserable, it's humanity. It's a mistake. It's an accident. We don't discipline for accidents in humanity, but we always deal with rebellion we have to. Okay? All right. So, goals of discipline. Well, we just read it in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. I say rod of discipline. Some of you get nervous. We'll get there. Relax. Okay? But this is what we know. One of the first goals of discipline that the Bible teaches, this is a very practical thing, that the goal of discipline is to drive out that folly. So, first thing we have to understand, that, that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. They are naturally foolish, not foolish like, haha, they're funny, silly. No, but foolish like they've got wickedness in them. Discipline deals with that heart condition and changes who they are. Okay? Now, it's necessary for you to understand that because um, one of the things that we tend to do is, is we tend to assume um, that our kids, if we just put these little... Uh, you ever driven one of those cars at the amusement park when you were younger? And it's on the rail. And so you can steer, but you can't get too far off track, right? I used to love those cars. Most of you guys probably grew up on the farm. And so you're like, Hans, I was driving when I was eight. Like driving a truck around the farm when I was eight. Okay, well, I grew up in the city and you had to go to Great America to get to drive. And you couldn't go very far. Or you got the bumper cars, which is really cool, because then you could go anywhere you want, but you hit stuff and, and it wouldn't hurt anything. But this is what we think. We think that, that kids can just kind of be left on their own to navigate. But here's, here's the thing. Listen, you need to start young. And the reason we start young is because what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach them this idea of self-discipline. Listen to me. Self-discipline can only come from discipline. Self-discipline only comes from discipline. There's no other way to achieve self-discipline. Our goal is to release our kids. Listen to me. If you have an 18-year-old in your house that you are still parenting the same way that you parented when they were six or seven, you've got problems lurking. Honestly. Our goal is to release them. 
This is what we're trying to do. We try to parent so that when they get to be 16, 17, 18, 19, that they can be self-governing. If we do it really, really well, then by the time they leave the house, they don't need our rules because they've learned to self-govern. They need our guidance. They need our instruction. But they don't need our oversight. But a lot of times what we do is, because I'm going to be honest with you, this is probably true for you guys too, but when my kids were little, sin can be kind of cute when they're little. You got little kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? They say something they're not supposed to say, and you're like, well, I want to, I know I'm supposed to discipline them, but it's just so darn cute. You know, I mean, I, that's pretty funny. Uh, you know, but then they get to be eight, nine, ten. It's not so funny anymore. We start thinking, man, the consequences are going to be real if they don't get this figured out. They're starting to have trouble at school all the time. We're like, man, these guys, they, they don't listen. They don't follow rules. All of a sudden, they hit puberty. We got to start worrying about the opposite sex. We got to start worrying about some of those things. The consequences get real. So what do we do? We tighten up. See, we tend to do it backwards. We tend to give freedom when they're younger because, well, it doesn't hurt us as much. And then we want to really tighten up when they get a little older and the consequences get real. But of course, what does that lead to? It always leads to rebellion because it's opposite of the way that God teaches. God says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So if you want to give them freedom later on, you have to teach them discipline early on. This is God's wisdom. Listen, now that doesn't mean if you have kids that are older and you've done this wrong that you should just be like, well, it's too late for me. I'm going to let them go. No, that's not what that means. But if you've got kids here that are younger or grandparents, you need to give this kind of encouragement. The younger, the better. Okay? Because we have to disciple them to obedience. Discipline leads to self-discipline. Another goal of discipline. Let's look at this. Um, A goal of discipline is to make your life simpler. A goal of discipline is to bring you peace in the home. Proverbs 29, 17 says this, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delight of your desire. Now, I don't know why kids are in the kitchen making banana splits. It's the delights of my desires, banana split. Okay. I don't know. I'm not sure what that's about, but I know this part. When you discipline your children, that brings peace. Part of what we're doing as we discipline children is that that we're, we're bringing about this idea of driving out disorder in the home. Sin is disorder. That's what sin is. Sin is disorder. Sin doesn't have a place in your life. God says sin is wrong. Sometimes, and this is a problem for adults. We've talked about this before. Sometimes we like to harbor sin and think it's not that big of a deal. Like we'll do really well in a lot of areas, but we're going to skip this one area because, well, I like that sin. That sin's easier. That sin is more respectable, right? That sin doesn't cause social problems for me. And so we we kind of allow little sins, but sin is disorder, okay? And part of your parenting strategy, according to to Proverbs, according to this, this idea of raising them up to love Jesus more than anything else, is driving out disorder. It means we don't allow disorder, means we call sin, sin, and we deal with it. And the goal of that is it brings peace in the home. Some of you think that when you, when you discipline kids, that it brings chaos. That discipline brings chaos because I could ignore that. I could, I love this one. I could pick my battle 
right? I could pick my battle. I could let that little sin go because it's not the battle I want to fight. And so we, we do this, this little game that we play where we, we do that and we think, well, that will bring peace in the house. But listen to me. It doesn't bring peace. God's wisdom is clear that discipline your children and that brings the peace that you desire. Discipline drives out disorder. We continue and, and look at Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, another goal of discipline. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Listen, a goal of discipline is so that it will go well with your children. You know why? Because you're smarter than they are. Kids, your parents are smarter than you are. Okay? It, I mean, it doesn't mean their brain works better. It doesn't mean they're, they're more awesome. It doesn't mean any of those, but they've been there. They've done that. They understand. They have wisdom that you don't have. And so this is the thing. It's like, you know what? And it's not just, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And we know that's true, but not just physical death. I mean, we know, we know about relationships. We know about marriages. We know about finances. We know about drugs and alcohol. We know all of these things. And when we drive out folly and when we bring wisdom, then you know what? It goes well for them. Some of you are so worried about being liked by your kids that you're unwilling to do these things that are difficult. And you're unwilling to do these things that are difficult, but you know what? You're not doing them any good. You're not doing them any good because while you might be placating them and letting them be happy for a moment... The wages of sin are death, and not just physical death, but in everything, relationships, employment, marriages, in their own parenting, in the things they choose to put in their body, the people they choose to be around, the wages of sin are death. And part of what our discipline does is teach them how to make it go well for them. Last goal of discipline is it brings hope. Discipline your children, for in that there's hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Did I mention that this was a big deal? Perhaps we don't talk about hell enough, but hell is real. Heaven is real. Salvation is critical. There is one way to be saved. And it's not your communion, and it's not your baptism, and it's not your confirmation. It's none of those things. Those things are important. We like those things. We encourage some of those things. I mean, but, but here's the deal. Those things don't save you. What saves you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What saves you is putting Jesus first in your life. What saves you is trusting and following Jesus. Listen to me. Parents, you've got to train your children to give them hope. Don't be a willing party. Listen, this is damning. This is damning. If this isn't important to you, this is what the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, is telling you right here is that if you are not making their spiritual discipline critical and important in your life, that you are being a willing party to their death. 
That's harsh. But they're not my words. Don't be a willing party to their death, okay? Proverbs gives us two forms of discipline. Quickly, we'll deal with these. One is passive, one is active. Passive discipline is the best way for us dads. It's really hard for moms, especially you helicopter moms. You know who you are, right? That you have to fix everything before it goes bad, right? Because if there's one thing we can't stand, it's a kid who will be cold because they forgot their coat in the morning. Or a kid who will be hungry because they forgot to take their lunch to school. Or, oh my goodness, they're going to get in trouble because they don't have their backpack and they've got their homework. And if we don't get their homework to school, things are going to be terrible. Okay. It's going to be okay. Trust me. Okay, but passive discipline simply is this. When the price tag is cheap enough, the Bible teaches okay, that, that we, can allow, we can allow kids to suffer natural consequences. Okay? We can allow them to suffer natural consequences. You leave your bike outside, your bike gets stolen, I'm not going to go buy you a new bike. You're going to have to save some money, buy your own bike, go without a bike, you know what? Why would you leave it outside? <laughs> Perfectly good garage you could put it in. That was rough, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, though, you know what? Listen, passive discipline is effective. Sometimes God uses passive discipline with you. You dabble with sin, you fall in sin. Sometimes people find out about your sin. Sometimes you have to deal with the passive consequences of that. But sometimes the price tag is too high. The price tag gets high when the consequence becomes something that's unbearable. A kid being cold outside, that's not unbearable. A kid going hungry, a kid getting detention at school, those things aren't unbearable. A kid playing in the street, the price tag is too high. A kid playing with drugs and alcohol, price tag's too high. Kids playing with sex, price tag's too high. And when the price tag's too high, it's time for active discipline, not passive, not passive discipline. God does this to us sometimes too. God will actively discipline sometimes when we step out and we continue to live lives that are brazenly sinful. God will actively discipline. It stings, it hurts. The author of Hebrew tells us though he does it because he loves. Okay, now here's the thing. The primary use of active discipline described in the book of Proverbs is the rod. The rod is not a metaphor. The rod is a rod. Okay, so the, I know, some of you are like, okay, time out, Hans. No, wait a minute. We read books about physical discipline. It's not good. We can have this conversation later. Okay, I'm just telling you that the primary use of active discipline that God describes in the book of Proverbs, his wisdom is the rod. In fact, Proverbs 13, 24 says this, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline. God uses the rod and discipline as synonymous. These are the same thing, the way that God does this. Now, here's the deal. I'm certainly not suggesting that you have to physically discipline your children but I am suggesting that it's not unbiblical if you choose to do so. 
in this generation that we've grown up in, in this social climate, we've been taught to believe that physical discipline is wrong. I'm ashamed to tell you that before I, you know, when I thought that I was a Christian and I knew everything the Bible had to say about everything because I read it once, um, and I taught parents, you know, I'd say things that made me sound very clever um, and pithy, and I would say like, well, of course your children hit, you hit them. <laughs> Come on, right? I, I, I really feel sometimes like I should call all of those parents and apologize for the terrible things and advice that I would give them. But biblically speaking, here's what we read. We read that physical discipline um, is synonymous in Proverbs with discipline. Okay? You don't have to discipline that way. There are other things that you can do to discipline, but it's not wrong. It's not unbiblical if you choose to do so. Okay? And some, some of this idea of discipline, we feel like it's so harsh. We feel like it's harsh. We, I can't do that. I love my kids too much. I can't discipline my kids. I love them too much. God actually flips that right here. Here's what he says. When you don't discipline your children, it's because you hate them. Why? Because something so much bigger is at stake. And God is smart enough to know, and really you are too if you stop and think about it, that those kids are going to hurt now or they're going to hurt later. When we refuse to discipline, maybe it doesn't hurt quite as much now, but we're smart enough to know that it's going to hurt them later. But God says, be bold enough, love your children, love them enough to discipline. If you won't discipline them, it's because you hate them. Okay? Okay, effective discipline, here's what it does. It demands obedience. Bible teaches us that discipline or that, that obedience looks like this. Obedience happens without challenge without excuse, and without delay. That's what God expects from us as individuals. Sometimes we'll follow God, but we have all kinds of excuses why we can't do what God wants us to do. Sometimes we have all kinds of challenges about why he must be wrong. And then when we're out of challenges and we're out of excuses, we say, okay, we'll do what God wants us to do, but we drag our feet and we delay. And God disciplines for that. Passively, he disciplines with conviction Actively, he might discipline with other things that he brings into your life. But that's what God teaches us in our personal life. And parents, that's how we need to demand it from our kids. Uh, obedience happens without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. Effective discipline is corrective. It's not punitive. That's why discipline, if you go back to Ephesians 6.4, look at this. That's the one. It always happens with instruction. You don't discipline without instruction. They must go together. You have to instruct when you discipline. God did that in the garden. It's the pattern he gives us. God never disciplines us for sin without instructing us with what's right in his word. Discipline and instruction have to go together, okay? Um, it's painful, yet it's gentle. It stings. It hurts but it doesn't wound, okay? Listen, there's no call for abuse. And some, some of you need to hear that. There is no call for abuse. And if you struggle, ang when you get angry or you get upset or when you go to discipline your children, if you struggle with that, then physical discipline is never for you, okay? Physical discipline has no, um, 
no part in the way that you discipline your kids. It's not a mistake you can make. Discipline stings, but it doesn't wound, okay? And it always leads to repentance. Remember, we talked about that. Our kids need to own it. They need to name their sin. They need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to pour grace on them, okay? Real quick, I asked the praise team to come up and prepare to close this out. I want to share this, this last little thing with you. Here are some things that don't necessarily work. These are dangerous. Counting, now I'm going to say counting, and some of you are like, but Matt, we like to count at our house. We count one, two, three, and if they don't do it, then they get in trouble. And here's what I'm going to say. I, I, okay, I'm not mad at counting, right? I, 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 Sesame Street, the count, it's good, right? We like it. Here's the problem with counting. Uh, what we're teaching is delay is fine as long as you hit the last threshold. So I, I want to encourage you to be careful with counting. And again, listen, I, 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 I mean, I, I taught more, I, hundreds of people, like one, two, three magic. Be careful. Be careful with counting. You can be discipling kids to disobedience when you do this. Nagging never works. Listen, you don't negotiate with your kids and rewards are dangerous. Rewards are dangerous because they, they teach that there's something other than righteousness that's the motivation. Rewards are great as congratulations, but they're bad as motivation. Right? So, so when you're rewarding behavior and it's you do well and you'll get a reward, then the reward has become the motivation and the righteousness has not. But when something right happens and you say, you know what, listen, we're going out for dinner tonight and we're going to go to a movie. Why are we going out to dinner and why are we going to a movie? Because you know what, I noticed that you've been working hard and you've been doing well. This is, this, this is a reward, is a, is a, we noticed, it's acknowledgement of righteousness, not a reason for righteousness. Okay, useful strategy, spanking, Timeouts can be effective if the goal of a timeout is to bring a child to repentance. If the goal of timeout is to give you a break, I get it, use it, right? <laughs> but include this part where you're trying to lead kids to repentance. They need to own it, they need to confess it, they need to name it, they need to ask for forgiveness, and then you need to pour grace. Grounding can work if it does the same thing. And listen, the older they get, sometimes a stiff rebuke is what's in order. You know, we'll talk more about this later in the series. We talk about letting go of our kids that leave the house. How do we parent our adult children? Sometimes more than anything else, rebuke is what's necessary. As a Christian man, I've had other Christian men rebuke me. And I can tell you that it's more effective than any consequence or discipline that they might try to give me. Okay? Listen. Some of you are thinking, okay, I got this. This is just a nice reminder. It makes sense. Some of you are thinking it's gone wrong in a couple of different ways. Here's what I'll do to encourage you. Look at yourself first. If your kids aren't where you need them to be, even your adult kids, if your kids aren't where you need them to be, look at yourself first. As a parent, discipline, you are administering the gospel to your kids all day, every day. And if, if it's not going the way that you want, maybe you need to look in the mirror first to make sure that the gospel is something that you've really embraced and that you really get and that you really understand. You are broken. You are in need to confess, 
to name sin and to ask God for forgiveness. And guess what? He pours grace on you. That's the model. And it's not an arbitrary model. It's necessary. It's what God gives us. So we need to look at ourselves first. Study the scripture. If you've got issue with some of this stuff and you're like, I don't know, read through Proverbs especially, but see what it has to say about wisdom, discipline, parenting. Man, find good parents. Find good parents. Ask them to pour into you. Ask them to guide you. Ask them to sit down with you. Ask them, give them permission to tell you hard, truthful things. Pray over and for your kids. I'll remind you that if uh, we'll be launching a prayer, pray for our kids campaign here. Actually, next week, you'll be getting some information about that. If I don't have pictures of your kids and you'd like to have them included, send me pictures of your kids so I can get them included. But pray for your kids. Pray over your kids. I can tell you that as a kid, whenever I spent the night at my grandma Hans's house, and I spent the night at my grandma Hans's house like at least two weekends out of a month, okay? And I can tell you that during their quiet time that I would have my grandma and my grandpa in a back room praying, my grandpa especially, and he would pray for each of us grandkids by name. I can tell you there's something so profoundly awesome as an eight, nine, ten-year-old kid of hearing someone that you know loves you, praying for you by name, asking God, begging God on your behalf. It's a big deal. And persevere, don't give up. None of this is rocket science, but none of it's all that simple either. Come talk to us, talk to the elders, talk to people that you know in the church. If you're struggling with this, then let's have further conversations about ways to intervene and ways to get involved and things to do. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you. Uh, we appreciate, um, you know, <laughs> the ability to just get practical wisdom out of your word. You know, sometimes we, we come to your word and, and it's these grand theological ideas and constructs. And sometimes, especially when we get to the book of Proverbs, it's just practical. And we thank you that you haven't left us without hope and that you haven't left us without wisdom or guidance. And that when we're struggling, that your word has the answer that your word tells us what to do. So Father, we thank you for that practical insight. We, we ask you to be with um, our kids. Help us as parents, grandparents, and others in the body of Christ that want to come alongside. Help us to raise our kids to be an effective generation of people that love Jesus more than they love anything else. Father, we ask you for that, trusting that your answers are yes, because you are good and gracious, God. We love you and we praise you. Amen.